to the Bible Feed podcast, a place for conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. Welcome again to the Bible Feed podcast. Uh, my name's Dan Weatherall, and I'm here with Paul again, and we're going to talk more about Revelation. We spent uh, the last episode scribbling on bits of paper, trying to follow your instructions on how uh, how the book is structured, didn't we? So, <laughs> I, I, mixed results, maybe. I don't, I don't know, but it was good. It was good to think about. It was good to think about the book as a whole, because that's really helpful when we're starting to now dive into a bit of the detail as to what it actually means. So you talked us through the structure of the viewpoint from the ground, effectively, you know, what's happening in the seven churches to whom this letter was written, and then how there's these structural markers that take us to God's perspective in heaven, and there's all sorts of other things that we're sort of going to come to. So, um, yeah, that that, that was good. What we've built, I think, on the first two episodes has been really helpful. It's probably fair to say that there's drawing a picture, uh, however... um, amateurish it might be is is not really a substitute for actually reading <laughs> the the book itself um so although it might help just having that framework in mind and sort of knowing what those structural markers are and some of those structures of the groups of seven and things like that what they look like might just help uh, as you're reading it through and you know i always find it useful to uh, to read a book all the way through uh, revelation takes about an hour and a half maybe to read through you could listen to it on an audio bible and follow it and and it and you get through it in about an hour and a half and uh pick up on some of those structural points yeah good all right good um yeah be good if um anyone has done that recently or or does it as a consequence of of listening to these Mm. and let us know how you get on listening listening to revelation all in one go um that'd that'd be a good thing to do right okay so what we're going to think about now in this this third episode so, so we're going to kind of pick up on some of those sections and look at them in a little bit more detail. So this time we're going to look at essentially the first five chapters. Okay, yep. Uh, so that's that's um, these letters to these seven churches in Asia. And then it flips us into this different viewpoint from, from heaven and this, this scene of a throne in heaven. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do this time. And then the next one, we'll look at those groups of seven, the seals, the trumpets, and the... Uh, and the bowls, and then I think the next one after that, we'll look at this discrete section in the middle yeah. that has beasts and dragons and images of beasts and things yeah. like that. In so, so we're going to just pick different sections yeah. and look at them. So we're building up. We're, bu- we're building up to the most exciting part then, the, the bit with the dragons. Yeah, yeah, and the mark of the beast. And, yeah, and what that. Yeah, that's what we want that's to get all to. About. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> excellent. Right. Okay. But th- but it's important now to to think about this, isn't it? The, the, these letters to these churches. That's what we want to think about. Okay. So should we dive in? Yep. Let's go. So we'll start with chapter one. I, just because we've read it in uh, so many times, I think we should just read chapter one, verse three again. Now, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. That's our the the headline verse so far. And I think right at the end of the first episode, we started to read the first thing that John saw in this section. So verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. 
So and naturally, you're kind of picturing these things in your mind as you go through. And in the midst of the lamp stands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Have you got that that image in your mind? <laughs> what what sort of things does that trigger in in your minds? What does that what sort of things does that link to? Yeah, so so immediately it it brings up um, parts of Daniel, doesn't it? I think so. Mm. There's a you know a vision there. Well, there's there's the the key uh, chapter to chapter seven about the Son of Man, isn't there? Yeah. Um, but then there's other you know figures that appear in vision to to Daniel, mm. and, you know, similar, appear similar. So am I, am I going the right way? Yeah, uh, Daniel is definitely, definitely a place to go. So you mentioned Daniel 7. So you've got, um, well, verse 9, how you've got thrones are placed, the Ancient of Days took his seat, his clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool, etc. So you've got a, almost a representation okay. of God there, which is, which is you know, yeah. interesting. And then verse 13, um, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So I, we yeah. thought about, I thought about that, we looked at that a little bit in the, the math, one of the Matthew episodes, um, because Jesus alludes to this passage. Oh, yeah, I remember that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, about himself being sort of presented as the man, son of man, the human. Yeah, because Jesus calls himself the son of man. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what? So that I think you used the phrase. Um, he he was the the exalted human. Yeah. So so son of man is is a human, isn't it? It's one of one of the class of mankind. That's what it yeah. means. So so, but but this son of man here is being raised up, exalted, and given a place to sit alongside the ancient of days, which. Yeah, it's, it's mm. an exalted human. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's what where we're kind of starting in Revelation with this the exalted Jesus. Yeah. So, th- and there were various characteristics, weren't there? Like eyes like a flame of fire, his his head and hair white like wool. I actually just noticed that when you read that from Daniel seven, mm. the, there's some similar descriptions that are of God in verse nine. Yeah. As I looked, thrones were placed. The ancient of days. His clothing was white as snow, and hair and head like pure wool. His throne was fiery. It's not identical, but it's it, it's got some similar similar features, isn't it? Yeah, it does. Perhaps we should think about that and what that's likely to be referring to because you know we, we think of you know right back at the beginning humanity when when human beings are made they are made in the image of god the intention is that they reflect god so here you have a son of man with these various descriptions but some of these descriptions are similar to the way god is sometimes described which i don't i don't think i would ever describe myself <laughs> in a way that, that sounds like a description of god but this is a jesus you know this is a yeah. the exalted human yeah yeah he's he's the um the perfect image of god he's he's sort of the one that has done it and where we've all fallen short that's kind of the point isn't it yeah i guess the you know the the history since human beings were made in the image of god is of humanity's failure to yeah be in the image of god until you get to jesus and i'm thinking of you know colossians jesus being he is the image of the invisible god uh, so certainly that's certainly said about about jesus yeah, um, and so here, that's that's where we're starting with here in Revelation. 
So John turns around and sees a, a in his in the vision sees a representation of Jesus standing among seven lampstands, which yeah. does it say that they are they are the seven churches? It does, doesn't it? It's right at the end of chapter one, and then at the beginning of chapter two, whoever this this figure is, uh, it, no, is walking among the seven golden lampstands, which I think is. You know, if those lampstands are those seven church, represent those seven churches. Here's, here's this figure, this glorious figure. Mm. But it's, it, he's walking among the lampstands. He's he's there with the churches, with the lampstands, and and he's he's concerned about the people in those churches and those communities and and how they're getting on and the and the challenges that they're they're facing. Yeah, and he's sort of representing God in the sense that. You know, he's as the Son of Man in Daniel has been given power and authority and mm-hmm. so on. So he's, yeah, on God's behalf, showing care and compassion, and is interested in the welfare of of his churches. Yeah. Okay. So that that's yeah, that's a good starting point. And and that takes us then into chapters two and three, uh, where we move into these letters, and and they they're clearly letters which are concerned about the welfare of of those communities of Jesus, Jesus followers. So should we take a look at those? Yeah. These letters in chapters two and three. Yeah, okay. Okay. So if we just start with with the letter to the church in Ephesus. Okay, so I'll read the whole lot then. So that's seven verses, I think. Yeah. Okay. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent." Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, how would you feel if you were in Ephesus and you received this whole thing, and then there was this this little section just for you? Direct letter from Jesus. (laughs) To my own church mm. congregation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd you'd really you'd really think carefully, wouldn't you, about about what what to how to hear and keep yeah. um, what what's being said here. But it, it it starts. It's quite a well structured letter. It's quite structured. It, so it starts with this: the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. So that's picking up on one of those features of this description of the Son of Man. Yep. And each of the letters to these seven churches starts with that, with a different aspect of that description of the Son of Man. 
to Smyrna, for example, in verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So that was the one of the descriptions of this one like a son of man. So the letters, each letter starts with something that identifies the, the person it's coming to, coming from, rather, as Jesus, as this, this picture of Jesus from chapter 1. He says, I know your works. So you get this real sense of intimacy, mm. don't you? Of, I, I know what it's like for you. I know what you're you're laboring on, the, the, the challenges that you have, your endurance. I know about your patience. Um, and he commends them for some things, and but he also points out some, okay, there's something here you've got to work on. So each letter has something like that, and then it finishes with this sort of statement in verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear, and something about what they're looking forward to, to the one who conquers, the one who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life in this case. Mm. So something about this is this is what you're doing this for, for that um, end result. Mm. And each of the letters is follows that, that, that pattern. Yeah, very, very deliberate. The things that they receive to the one who conquers, I will grant, you know, that this one eat of the tree of life and then there's other ones aren't there which are yeah. uh, not hurt by the second death uh, give a white stone a new name written on the stone all the, all those things come yeah. later in the book as well don't they they're the kind of the target for which mm. the book is 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 aiming um so that that ties it all the whole thing together yeah i think that was that's interesting yeah and, and some of them have come before in scripture so eat of the tree of life is, yeah. is obviously out of the Garden of Eden, and, and there's receiving a new name that comes up earlier in, in Scripture. So it's it's pulling on yep. things that have, have come before as well. Good. So, so yeah, the, so they, some things in there that they, they have done well, but there's some sort of pro- problems as well, aren't there? Challenges, and they've each mm. got sort of specific things. So do we want to, to look at any of those? We will look at that. Just before we look at that, maybe there's there's something just to... There's a common thread, I think, that runs through these seven letters, which I think is interesting just to pull out because it, I think it might come up later in, in, in okay. other sections of, of Revelation, as, as a, just as an idea, as a thing to look out for. So, so one of the things, if we notice in Ephesus, there was this, uh, I think it's verse 2, you have tested those who call themselves apostles, but they're not, and, and you've found them to be false. Mm. So so there's there's some people claiming to be something, but in reality, they're, they're not that thing. And there's something like that in each of these letters. Okay. So that, that was the one in Ephesus that you've found that some people claim to be apostles, but they're not. And then in the next letter to Smyrna, verse 9, yeah, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not. So there's some people claiming to be Jews, but they're not, mm. whatever that meant in that context. Mm. And then in the next letter, chapter 2 and verse 14, I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who, put, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. So that's that's a taking example straight out of the the Old Testament, out of the Book of Numbers, where Balaam claimed to be a prophet, but but wasn't. That wasn't his his intention. Yeah. And then again in the next section, we've got Jezebel. So verse twenty of chapter two: I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess mm. and is teaching whatever she's teaching. She's not really. She's not a genuine prophetess, but she's calling herself that. 
so finish them off to Sardis, I think, in verse, uh, yeah, beginning of chapter three, to the angel of the church in Sardis, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So they look alive, but they're actually dead. Uh, Philadelphia, I think, is again that group that say that they are Jews. Chapter three, verse nine, they say they are Jews and are not. There it is again. And then in... Um, chapter 3 and verse 17 to Laodicea, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realising that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. You, you say you're rich, but you're not. Mm. So all the way through, there's this claim or appearance of being something which is false, which is which is not real. And, and, and there's appeal to these seven churches to recognise that, you know, re- recognise it for what it is and, 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 and deal with it in some way. So, yeah, so, and I think that that will be something that that comes through later in the book yeah. as well. Okay, so we need to look out for that. It does, it feels a little bit like the the overall thing we were thinking about last time, where, you know, there's a there's one perspective on things, which is from the ground, and we don't fully know what, you know, we don't have a whole mm. holistic view of things. But when John is sort of in vision transported to heaven, here's a new perspective on things which, you know, he's sort of been encouraged mm. to have. Um, it just seems a little like it's a similar sort of motif here that, um, mm. yeah. Yeah, there's, there's things which appear a certain way when you're there on the ground, just looking at it as a human being. But if you can look at it from God's perspective, then it might look different. Yeah. And, and you might see through yeah. the appearance of things to, to something else, yeah. uh, to, to a reality yeah. that is, is the way God sees it. Which is all part of the revealing, isn't it? We are. This is the revelation. This is a revealing. Um, yeah, I hadn't thought of thought of that. Yeah, fundamentally, what what we're looking at. So yeah, yeah, apocalypsos means yeah, revealing. Yeah, it feels like we're not deviating from the very sort of central core of what this book is trying to do. It, you know, mm. it feels like we're we're getting on to that. Yeah, let's think about some of the some of the difficulties because uh, you know this this section of it is probably the easiest part to relate to mm-hmm. um, and, and to understand what's, what the points are that are being made. So, you know, we, Ephesus were commended for recognising these false apostles and, and calling them out, but they were also pulled up for, you know, you've, you've, lost, you've lost something. Maybe in being zealous about weeding out false apostles, they'd lost something. They'd abandoned the love that they had at first. And so he just you know, gently warns them about that. What else have we got? In um, Smyrna, we've got this um, impending persecution. They've got, to, they've got to prepare themselves for, for something that's about to happen. Mm. And you'll be, you're going to be tested. You will have tribulation, but be faithful. So it's, it's preparation for that. And so we looked at Sardis. We read that verse about you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Um, you know that's that's quite a stinging accusation, isn't it? Mm. When when it, when it gets round to to reading that out um, in Sardis uh, to learn that yeah, you only you only look like you're a vibrant church. Actually, this inside it's not quite as alive as uh, as as you think. It's not performing the way that Jesus wanted. That's mm. that's the thing. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that this. Presumably, this this whole thing would have been read out at each of these seven churches, so they all they all hear yeah. the good the good points and the bad points of each other. Yeah, and they're not they're not a million miles from each other, are they? That that's that's the point of this. No. you know, seven cities in a in the in the region who are sort of neighbouring each other. Mm. So, presumably, Christians from different cities would have 
got you know would have known each other and i think if you if you were to get in a taxi <laughs> at ephesus and uh, and and as you know taxi drivers often do they they go faster than the speed limit um travel about 70 miles an hour it probably take you about four or five hours to drive around all okay. of these yeah. places yeah and they're actually if, if you follow the sequence it's sort of on the route that somebody would go you start at ephesus on the coast mm. you move up the coast and then you go inland to the others and and okay. it's it's sort of in a natural sequence uh, as you would travel to them and yeah it would have been read to all of them so there's no there's no there's no place to hide mm. uh, from from what jesus is saying to you as a as a church mm. and so that but there's a, there's a whole range of different things that that they're dealing with different challenges yeah. um and, and i i guess the the idea is they all learn from each other yeah absolutely and uh, it, they're all sort of reflective of the the situation that we should have painted in the first episode of you know this expectant community waiting but suffering mm. you know at, at different times there's, there's the, the rise of the imperial cult which is sort of trying to enforce emperor worship and yet christians don't want a, a part in that at all so so they're being persecuted yeah. for it as well so so yeah all these different problems that they've got some of them are responding in maybe good ways and then some of them perhaps aren't although there's not that much emphasis on them being persecuted through the court there is it, it is there in yeah, some okay. places it, it you know in smyrna it's about to happen it hasn't happened yet but it's coming uh there's obviously been a little bit of an issue in pergamum where in the days of antipas who was killed among you hmm. and there's this tension with whatever the jews or the synagogue of satan represents there's there's not the, the issues are more about how the how the churches are just operating and 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 working as communities and as light stands to um to the cities and the and the surrounding areas yes the, the persecution is there but it and, and actually the timing of it around in domitian there had been periods of persecution in emperor nero and so on but it, it was it was still the the worst of that persecution was still to come really Mm. towards the end of the time of Domitian. So so it, it's, it's a little bit of a preparation for it mm, okay. uh, rather than being in the thick of it, mm. I, I think. Yeah, okay. And there's other things that they need to, uh, to look, look out for, look, look at themselves. So, okay. So okay, so so these these places they're they're real places. Obviously, you talked about getting a taxi and going around to, to view them. There's something um, I've I've heard before about these different places. What's being said to each of them or some of them that has a bit of a relevance to the place where they are. And the only one I can think of is the kind of the famous Laodicea has is described as lukewarm. And there's these kind of is it hot water and cold water comes from different springs yeah. and and in Laodicea it was renowned for just lukewarm water which you, you really can't you don't want to drink yeah um yeah you know that that's fascinating as well it's sort of drawing on the real um I don't know geography I guess and the culture of it is that is that a big thing yeah. or is it there's I there's definitely some of that and Laodicea is probably one that's that's clearest I mean there's you know archaeologists have found ancient Roman plumbing um you know big 
big pipes for transporting water from these springs. Laodicea didn't really have its own water supply, so it was kind okay. of pumping water in um, from from elsewhere. But some of it was hot springs, some of it was cold springs, and by the time it got to Laodicea, it was pretty disgusting. <laughs> and and these this Roman plumbing is really fed up with limescale, so mm-hmm. it was yeah, it's probably not not pleasant to, no. to drink. So it's definitely that sort of illusion in in, in Laodicea and. And there's a couple of other things. You know, Philadelphia is it was just destroyed three or four times within the space of uh, two or three hundred years by earthquakes, and you know, so the the reward is you will be a pillar because the only building that survives is the one with the you know, the stone pillars uh, in in an earthquake. And there's a Satan's throne in I think it's in um, Pergamum, which and, and there was a big kind of altar for to, to Zeus, which looks like a throne, looks like a, a giant seat. So there may be some. Some things like that. I mean, there's quite a good um, a good book. Another another recommendation, but it's a very different kind of recommendation from the Richard Borkham, um essays. Um, there's a book called Revelation Road. Um, it's by a guy called Nick Page, um, and he's he basically it's it's sort of a, a travelogue about going going to these different places okay. and searching out the places that um, that are relevant to to the Book of Revelation. Mm. And it's yeah, it's it's a much lighter read than most books on <laughs> on the Book of Revelation. Right? So it's worth a it's worth a go. Great. So we talked a bit about these letters and 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 the impressions. You know, what kind of what kind of first impressions do you think people hearing this would would get? That they, I think, they're going to think a lot about how they may have missed what they're like and how they're operating as churches. I think that's uh, mm. you know this this would this would really get to you i think you know if you, you've suddenly been told you think you're this but actually you're this or you may have done this but mm. you're, you're letting these people in you know uh, yeah. influence your your church and how you deal with things and yet they're not apostles or you know that kind of thing i think that yeah. would really open their eyes it would have been a, a wake-up call and, and there's probably a range of issues there that you could see in modern churches as well definitely so, so up to now, we've we've seen this representation of Jesus, the Son of Man, and he's very much down amongst the lampstands. He's he's in in amongst the churches, and it's the view. You know, we've seen all of their experiences. Very much down to earth up to now. And then chapter four starts. John says, "After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven." And the first voice which I heard heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, "Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this." Uh, once I was in the spirit, so we've got that section marker, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. He who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. Around the throne was a rainbow. There's 24 thrones, there's 24 elders, there's creatures surrounding this throne. It then describes a sea of glass in front of the throne. So so this is, you know, a, a scene, a throne, a figure on that throne in glory, and and there's twenty four elders, the creatures that are around it, all giving praise to the the one on the throne. So the four living creatures are saying, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come." And then there's a group of twenty four elders who are saying, "Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things by your will; they existed and were created." So there's just praise to to this. Mm. representation of god which this representation of god on a throne on a sort of translucent sea of glass type sea of crystal that 
comes straight out of the Old Testament. Mm. It, it comes straight out of Ezekiel, yeah. Ezekiel chapter one. I don't know. It's almost worth, you know, can you go through and spot the things that come have come from the Old Testament? You know, the, the throne is, is Ezekiel one. Yeah. But the seven, se- seven spirits of God, the seven torches of fire. Is that, that that's in Zechariah, isn't it? I think. Yeah. That's in Zechariah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the picture in Ezekiel is similar to something in, is it Exodus as well, when the elders of Israel um, go up the mountain and see a representation again of God. There is, um, there's a, a sapphire yeah. surface or something, yeah. And and in that picture in Ezekiel, there's cherubim, there's these, these things with faces of an ox, a man, an eagle, and a, yeah. and a lion. Yeah. Those those kind of creatures, and they're they're here as well. Yeah, you know, possibly representing you know all different parts of creation, and and that, and you know, so all creation is giving praise. That the lightning and thunders and, and things like that it is in Ezekiel as well, I think. But you you get that from Mount Sinai as well, don't you? You, you know, that's again Exodus yeah. sort of nineteen and, and twenty. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so what strikes me about this is that we, we've just been talking about the paragraphs that were read out at these each of these churches about very sort of specific things mm. and then suddenly this is totally different isn't it and and yet and yet we're meant to there's there's a there's meant to be some kind of connection and and i think it's how easy is it for interpreters to sort of treat these the, the seven letters so called as as very mm. you know independent and separate um and then think about the the main prophetic bulk of the book uh, you can see how easy it is to do that but i think what we've got to do yeah. what i've got to try and do is is remember keep in mind those things we've thought about in the letters as we go through the rest of the book because presumably yeah there's there's some connection there's they're addressing the same sort of things and issues is that is that right yeah absolutely and this this picture of of the one on the throne and the various creatures giving praise that's drawing from Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, these things—they're almost like vehicles. Yeah. The, the chariots that, that that this figure on the throne is is controlling, and I think the you know the message here is the view from heaven is that God is in control. That whatever you know down on the ground, it, it's all hard and difficult, and you can't really see why things are happening the way they are. The view from heaven is God is in control. So I think I think that's part of what the the different perspective is. Yeah. I- I think um, that might pull through in Ezekiel as well, because you know, thinking about the time of Ezekiel, sort of in the middle of the captivities to and the exile to to Babylon, where it, everything seems terrible, and and yeah. and this is a representation of who really is in control, and and it's God, and I, and uh, there's a very specific thing there, isn't it? Because the the this representation of God's glory leaves the temple and then comes back in the end so so it's it's doing something very specific So we've got this perspective then. Uh, God's in control. How do these these two views cross over then? Yeah. So you've got the you've got all these you know the hard times down down on earth, and then suddenly a different perspective which says oh, here's the glory of God on His throne and He's in control. But you know what what good is that? Will they ever come together? 
I wonder if that's the sort of question that starts to emerge as as people hear this. We, we've got it tough down here on earth. Now I see this picture of God in heaven and it's suggesting he's in control. How does that affect me on earth? Will that ever, will that control ever affect me here on earth? And, and I think then you move into chapter five and and this seems, this is now John is kind of carrying the hearers and his audience along with him. I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Um, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? So there's a problem emerging, which is it's like this down on earth, but God is in control. How how will that be resolved? How will God mm. exert his control over things and bring heaven and earth together? And, and here, the suggestion, the hint is the answer is in this scroll. Mm. This scroll needs to be opened and unrolled and its contents revealed. And that's going to get us to, to the solution of that. And, and John, you know, the answer is no one. No one on heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And it says, John began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And it, and you can feel the audience going along with that as this is this unfolds. Yeah. You know, the hearers are sort of sharing with John here. I, I really want to know yeah. what's in this scroll and, and how it's going to bring god's control yeah absolutely to to earth but then it comes doesn't it not too long after well straight after that that we get the answer yeah yeah that someone can well where is it verse five one of the elders said to me weep no more behold the lion of the tribe of judah uh, is able to open the scroll yeah the root of david has he's conquered and he can open it. so so john doesn't see anything at this point he's just heard a description yeah uh, we've we've had that sort of thing appear before it, it happened in in chapter one yeah. So, so he hears uh, it's the lion. The lion is going to open this this scroll. Yeah. You know. So, what's his expectation? What's the natural expectation? Yeah. A, a majestic, a majestic lion. It's you know a great, yeah. great beast, powerful, yeah. one to conquer. Yeah. yeah. It's it's mighty. It's strong. It's it's roaring. It's you know fearsome. Yeah. And and this lion is able to open the scroll, and. So, well, just let's just read on verse six. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw, so he then sees now the one that's going to be able to open the scroll. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, then the rest of the chapter is praise praise, praise to to this lamb. Mm. But it's like the complete opposite of, of the expectation yeah. uh, and, the, yeah. and the natural image, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it, it's a lion conquering, and then he looks, and it's it's a, a lamb yeah. that has been slaughtered, yeah. but it's alive. It's, it's like you, you wanted to watch The Lion King, but you ended up with Shaun the Sheep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's just, yeah, it's just such a, such a dramatic... And, and the way that unfolds, just emphasizes the point is that there's something really important about the nature of the conquering the nature of the victory that the lamb yeah. it's it's jesus clearly and and in and in his self-sacrifice you know that's what jesus victory looked like mm. you know, becoming a lamb and submitting and, and being sacrificed in that way mm. so that you know that's what christian conquering christian victory looks like and it's completely different from from human expectations of, of what uh, of what victory is, and then there's all, all the 
the praise of of him being worthy to take the scroll and, and open its seals. But you think about how how would that affect the the hearers? So those mm. those in those churches, you know, maybe just about to experience or having some persecution, and and they want to overcome. Yeah, they, you know, what message does that send them about how to deal with it? Yeah, there's there's a link immediately and that between the those the actual specific. Uh, messages to each church isn't it because to him that conquers or overcomes depending on which translation you're yeah, using yeah. i'll give you this and, and and here is someone who has overcome who has conquered so yeah. so i think yeah. i think immediately you would you, you, if you're if you're listening to those seven letters and you're thinking well how do we conquer how do we overcome all these difficulties that we're going to yeah. go through well here's someone who's done it and it's done in a very different way so yeah i think i think that's something you would pick up on and it's probably one of the main points uh, to take that that yeah our to, to get through these difficulties that you know some of the the problems that we've talked about in those seven churches it mm. needs to look in a in a way that's characterized by self-giving like jesus yeah. so yeah and, and it might be I, you know i don't know in those early church communities they might have thought well if we can get into power in our city and rebel against or oust the uh, the authorities that are persecuting us by political or violent means then the work of christ will be moved forward and uh, you know this is sending a very clear message that's not that's not christian victory mm. you know it's kind of one of the one of the temptations of jesus and that to to take the yeah the kingdom the kingdoms that he was shown yeah you know. not wanting to not wanting to keep referring back to the Matthew episodes, but but uh, yeah, yeah that, that's <laughs> yeah. absolutely right. And yeah. and there, there's a there's a in um, one of the letters to Thyatira in chapter two, there's a quote back to Psalm two, which was linked in the in the temptations of Jesus. Yeah. So yeah, to him, the one who conquers and who keeps my works till the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, mm. even as I've received authority from my father. And do you think, yeah, a natural understanding yeah. of that might be that, yeah, we, we, we pick up a rod of iron and, and use force or use, yeah. you know, you know, maybe not physical force, but use power and authority in the, in the lion sense. But, but yeah, I think the interpretation yeah. is in all cases, we need to, to act like the lamb that's been slain. Mm. Yeah. Which is, um, yeah, challenging to people living in the in the Roman Empire with all the the dangers of that, I guess. Yeah, and it's um, so we've kind of got to the end of chapter five, and that okay, the one who was about to open this scroll that John desperately wanted to see the contents of, and we are now poised, ready to go into chapter six uh, for these seals to be broken and the scroll to be opened. But that's for the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. So we can see how how that how it all unfolds and how we can. Yeah, bring yeah. together these these views that God's in control despite all the, the 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 things that might be going wrong. So, all right, great, thank you, Paul. Hopefully, that was uh, that started to get into how the uh, how the first hearers kind of start to react to this. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it's working well. It's uh, yeah, high level bird's eye view of of this book, which which is really important to to get a you know a whole whole sense of of what it's doing. So so thanks a lot, and thank you everyone for listening along. And if, you're, if you've got any questions or anything that you want to um, ask us about on this, this is what we, we've done three now on Revelation. So uh, now would be a good time to, to throw them in and we'll see if we can uh, 
we can give a give a response or an answer maybe on the on any of those things but yeah any questions about anything and any of the episodes let us know you can find us on facebook find us on instagram um and you can go to our website which is biblefeed.org and uh, thank you all very much and we will we will see you next time listening to the Bible Feed podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're always keen to hear what you think, hear your questions or subjects you'd like to discuss. So get in touch with us on our Facebook page or send a message from our webpage at biblefeed.org and be part of the journey. Mm-hmm.